We're in Luke chapter 14. We continue our studies of the life of Jesus from the book of Luke that we started way back in December. And we're chapter 14 today are some of the things that Jesus said. Luke chapter 14. When I was growing up over on the Sour Springs Road, we had neighbors half a mile down the road who had a handicapped daughter. No one knew how old she was, not even her mother could remember. We thought she may be in her late 20s. She could only say about five or six words, uh, but her mother faithfully cared for her. And when I was about six years old, that daughter grabbed me and screamed one of the words she could scream, baby, baby, (laughs) and she squeezed me, and she almost squeezed the breath out of me. My mother tried desperately to pry me loose from her grip. (laughs) After that, I learned to stay clear of the young lady, but my mother was always very kind to that little family. They had no car, and they had no driver's licenses. And so it was my mother who took them grocery shopping every week. And the little family was grateful for my mother's kindness. And so it was that one day the little family up the road invited us to dinner. And the five of us accepted the invitation and we went to dinner. I remember the lady of the house had cooked a ham. And the family was of Pennsylvania Dutch origin so they cooked the ham in a pot, and they brought the ham to the table, and it was swimming in the hot grease, and that's the way those Pennsylvania Dutch people liked their ham, so it just sort of slide down your throat. <laughs> Lots of hot grease, very slippery, and they cut a slice of ham and dipped it in the grease and laid it dripping on the plate. And my mother saw it, and she said, excuse me, and she went outside and threw up in the backyard. (laughs) When she came back in, she said, I've had a little bit of stomach flu lately, and I guess I better not eat anything. So mom didn't have to eat any of that slimy ham. Later on, I told mom, we couldn't puke on demand like you, and so we had to eat that greasy ham. (laughs) Well, after that, whenever they suggested that we might come to dinner, Mom always had an excuse. Now, she still took him shopping every week, but we never went to dinner again. When we read about the life of Jesus, it's amazing how many times you find him sitting at someone's dinner table. Over and over again, Jesus accepted invitations to dinner. So often did he eat at somebody's dinner table that his critics, the Pharisees, called him a glutton and a wine-bibber. They said all he does is eat and drink. If you recall, when Jesus stopped at Matthew's tax collector booth and said to Matthew, come, follow me, Matthew closed up shop, and he threw a huge party. And all of his tax collector friends, who were called publicans, came to Matthew's party. 
And Jesus had a wonderful time with all of Matthew's friends. And the Pharisees watched the party in shock and amazement. And they made the comment, he even eats with those low-class scum. Publicans collected taxes for the Roman Empire. So they were considered traitors by the Pharisees. Jesus had a great time at Matthew's party. But it wasn't always so. Some of the people who invited Jesus to dinner weren't nearly as much fun as Matthew's friends. And I'm quite sure that when Jesus got certain invitations, he must have thought to himself, oh, I'd rather not. In our text today, Jesus has been invited to dinner by a Pharisee. And I'm sure it was one of those situations where Jesus would rather not go. But he politely accepted and went to dinner at the Pharisee's house. Now, of course, the Pharisee's friends were just more Pharisees. And as they entered the house, their first question when they came in the door was, uh, where's the head table? We only want to sit at the head table. After all, we are most certainly guests of honor. Jesus, who is seated at a low table, (laughs) says to the people around him, when you come to dinner, uh, sit in the lowest seat you can find. And if you're a true guest of honor, someone will ask you to move up to the head table. If you sit at the head table and you're not the guest of honor, they may kick you out of your chair and you'll be very embarrassed. (laughs) Can you imagine the tension in the room as Jesus points out the arrogance of the Pharisees' guests? Here's the thing, my friends. If you don't want to hear the truth, don't hang around with Jesus. (laughs) All right? (laughs) So to loosen the tension a little, somebody tries to change the subject. So let's see what he says. We're in Luke chapter 14. I'm beginning at verse 15. One of them that sat at meat with him heard those things. He said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, if we could interpret what this fella just said, it would be read like this When God takes all of us Pharisees to heaven, we will have a feast together up there. In response to that kind of comment, Jesus will tell one of his wonderful stories that he's so talented at. Verse number 16. Listen as Jesus tells a story. And then he said, as Jesus unto him, certain man made a great supper and bade many, sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. 
And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said to the servant, Go on to the highways and hedges. Compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now before we start, I want to ask you a personal question. I don't want you to answer out loud. Just quietly in your head. And it's this. Have you ever gotten an invitation and have you ever said, I really don't want to go to this party? Maybe it's greasy ham. (laughs) Or maybe it's bad company. Or maybe it's something you'd rather not celebrate. But really... I would rather not attend. Do you know the feeling? Have you had that experience? In the culture at Jesus' time, what they did was they'd tell you uh, that we're going to have a dinner party. Maybe it was for a wedding. Maybe it was a holiday, whatever. And when the time comes, we'll let you know. And so everyone is invited, but no time is given. And when the meal is all prepared, a servant would now go out and walk through the streets and make the announcement, everything is ready, come and get it. And so they accepted the general invitation, but when it got down to it, the specific invitation it's ready, come and get it, they really didn't want to go. So Jesus said they began to make excuses. Now, an excuse is a false reason to hide the real reason. We just don't want to go to your dinner, but we can't say that. So, here's our excuse. Number one, I bought a piece of land, and I've got to go look at it. So please, have me excused. Number two, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to test them. So please, have me excused. The third one is much more forward. I just got married, I'm staying home with my new wife. Now the result of all this is that the food is ready, the dinner is served on the table, and there's a lot of empty chairs. And it says the master of the feast got angry. So he told his servants, out in the city streets, you just go out right out the door, and there are beggars there. They're blind, they're lame, they're people who sit by the roadside, they can't work, so they beg. They beg for food every day, and they're hungry people. 
So go get them and bring them here to eat my food. And so they did. So they brought in hungry folks, folks who were used to being hungry, blind and lame beggars. And then the servant said, we still got empty chairs. And so the master said, I want you to go outside of town now. Go out where people live in some obscure place, some hedgerow, and compel them to come to the feast. I want a full house. And no one who was first invited will eat at my table ever again. So, there's two questions I put to you. What was the spark that made Jesus tell this story? And what does it mean? What's Jesus teaching us with this story? The comment that made Jesus tell this story was when the Pharisees said, we'll all be blessed when we all go to heaven and sit and eat bread up there. You see, my friends, the Pharisee assumed that because they were Pharisees, well, naturally, they would all go to heaven. Now, these are the same people who called Jesus a glutton and a wine-bibber. These are the same people who would have nothing to do with the tax-collecting scum of the earth. These are the same people who came to the party and said, where's the head table? That's where I want to sit. They were what we call self-righteous. They said, we're so righteous, we're so good all by ourselves, that naturally we'll all go to heaven and we'll probably be the guests of honor when we get there. So Jesus is going to use a dinner party as an example of how to get to heaven and who will get there and who will not. And it really works well to explain how God views our salvation. It's a perfect story. So let's see if we can break it down into that spiritual story. The master of the house is God himself. And God has declared that there will be a feast and he has given out the general invitation that all are welcome. And now the specific invitation is given. All things are prepared and ready. It's time for you to come. Before man ever existed, before humans were created, God already had a plan to rescue man from his sins and from the death that resulted from that sin. And when his son, Jesus, came to earth and died on the cross, then everything was ready. The debt was paid, pardon could be given, everything was ready to go. All that's left is for you to come. Now... He uses the example of meal. 
a meal. Because your desire to come to the meal is greatly enhanced when you are hungry. There is in the human soul a hunger, a desire for love, for security, for acceptance. There is in the human soul a longing for a second chance. Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And that's why a meal makes such a good example. It is served to fill your hunger and quench your thirst. And Jesus wants to satisfy those longings in your soul like a good meal would satisfy your hungry belly. So Jesus gives this great and generous invitation. Come. It's all ready. Everything's prepared. Come and satisfy all your longing. But some people do not crave that inner nourishment. When the invitation arrives, they begin to make excuses. What I own is very important to me. And I'd rather spend my time looking at my property than going to the gospel feast. And to others, the working world, making a living, success is much more important to me. I want to test my five yoke of oxen. I'd rather use my advantage, which is five yokes of oxen, to enhance my position. I hope these five yokes of oxen will make me a very successful man, and I prefer that to the offer of satisfaction for my soul. And to the others... My relationships are very important to me. I will pursue my relationships. God will not become before all of my relationships. My friends are more important to me than God. So what is Jesus saying? That you're not supposed to own property or succeed in life or have good relationships? You can have all those things, but they will not feed the hunger in your heart. There was a French mathematician named Blaise Pascal, famous mathematician. He believed in God. And he explained it this way. He said, there is a vacuum in every human heart it is a god-shaped vacuum and only god can fill that vacuum he had an experience with god and he wrote it down on a piece of paper and he folded it up and he sewed it in the lapel of his coat 
and he wore it there for the rest of his life. And he said, for three solid hours, I experienced God. Fire, fire, fire. And then joy, joy, tears of joy. Not the God of the philosophers and the wise, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He sewed it in his lapel, carried it there the rest of his life. God invites you to his feast, but you're satisfied with lesser things. And you say, please have me excused. A field or some oxen or a wife is more important to me right now. I cannot attend the feast. And so the good master says, I don't want empty chairs at my table. I know there are people who have trials in life, who struggle through life, who are beggars, who never feel satisfied. Go get them. The blind and the lame, hungry soul, invite them to my feast. They'll come because they have known the pangs of hunger and they feel the all-consuming thirst. And they long for God and His fullness and blessing. So go invite them. I know they will come. My friends, every week we gather here not just to inform you, not just to educate you, but rather to feed your soul. Come to church with a longing and a hunger and a desire to be satisfied, and God will set a table that you will find will satisfy the longings of your heart. So come and feast and indulge and enjoy the feast. But God is not yet satisfied, so He tells us His servants... He tells us, <clears throat> go out and find the people that are isolated, as far off ones, and compel them to come in. So we reach out as far as we can, and we entice them, and we urge them, and we persuade them, and we compel them to come to the feast that God has prepared. And we tell them, it's free, it's all paid for. It's as much as you want with no restrictions. Come and satisfy your soul. But in Jesus' story, the man who is satisfied with himself, man who thinks that he's already found what he needs, I'm good enough, I have no needs, Jesus says this, he'll never eat at my table. Never. My friends, this story of Jesus tells how your hunger can be satisfied. A feast is prepared and ready. But I got good news for you. This isn't just a parable. Oh no, my friends. It's not just a made-up story to teach us, although it does that. It is the most startling reality. There is a feast. A real feast. It's all planned. It's all ready. 
It's a wedding feast. Father God is the master of the feast. God the Son is the bridegroom. And you are the bride. Jesus, the groom, the church, his bride. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a real thing. And Jesus will celebrate your union with Him and you will be united with Him forevermore. Now listen to the description that the Bible gives of this real feast. I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters and the voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and His wife hath made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And He saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Yes, there will be a feast when we arrive in heaven. Yes, you are to be the honored guest at that feast. It's a love story like no other ever. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Father has established and prepared the feast. The Holy Spirit stands with a book in His hand to do the wedding ceremony, and the Son will promise to love you forever. But this is a wedding like none you have ever seen before. In our weddings that we do down here, there's a vow that we repeat. The vow says, I promise to love and cherish till death do us part. That's what we say down here. But in that great wedding, there's no such vow. For the former things are passed away. There's no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. And death has been annihilated. It will be no more. The Holy Spirit says, Oh, Son of God, will you love this bride? Will you have her to be yours? And Jesus say, Yes, forever and forever and forever and forever. An angel came down and said, Unto you is born a Savior. And I, as one of His servants, invite you, persuade you, compel you to accept the invitation, partake of the feast. It is no parable. It's the real thing. You are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. My friends, don't search for an excuse Don't look for somewhere else for your hunger and thirst to be satisfied. Accept the invitation. All things are now ready. Listen to the ancient declaration of what's going to be. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come to the water. He that has no money, come and buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money 
without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. My friend, I'm going to that wedding party. I wouldn't miss it. Will you come and go with me? Let your soul be delighted. I pray you'll join me at the party. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the wisdom of God that takes a simple thing like a meal and turns it into an exciting event. Thank you for the promise of a future meal when you and I will sit down together and we will know together that we are united as one. And we look forward to that day that there might be many people and that table would be full. So help us as we work toward that goal to reach and convince and persuade and compel them to come in. Bless us, Lord, as we do these things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn books, if you will. Hymn number 243. Hymn number 243 in closing. Standing as we sing, Ho, everyone that is thirsty in spirit. Then he was saying 243. <coughs> Page 
to close with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we ask that our hearts would be <coughs> thirsting for you this day. We pray that we would seek you. We pray that we would look to be with you. Lord, we know that you have said, if you are thirsty, come. You will pour water on us. You will give us what is to drink, that life everlasting, water everlasting, ever flowing from inside. We are thankful that you have invited us to the marriage supper of the Lamb, that you want us to be with you, and that all we need to do is wait, decide what is most important in our life, that it not be the things and the relationships but that most important, we have come after God to fill our hearts and then let all of those other things happen and all of those other things be more fulfilling with God in the center of what we have, filling our hearts. We are thankful for the blessings that you have promised to us. And thank you that you have given us an invitation. We pray that we would take it this day and say, yes, we will take that invitation. From our Lord. We ask for protection and care over all these people. Bring them back to this place. Watch over us. Help us to have grateful and thankful hearts this week. In your name. Amen.